When I was 16, I was invited to go with a friend to his church. The sermon involved the preacher explaining a huge chart on display at the front of the church. It spelled out the great epochs of cosmic history. Images and symbols were given precise explanations. This meant this, and that meant that, as the past, present, and future were all neatly mapped out. It was the 70s when Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, remained for 20 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It was the heyday, at least in North America, of something called dispensationalism. At that point in my life, I hadn't yet heard the word dispensationalism, but even at 16, I was skeptical about the whole chart thing. It seemed unlikely that God's cosmic purpose and the terrible forces that strove against it could be so thoroughly known by mere mortals, let alone a man in a polyester suit with some Bristol board. It seemed to me then, as it does now, that to strive so to so exactly explain both the ancient past and the distant future is just one more mere example of human grandstanding. Evidence of our inability to accept our true place in the order of things. The man with the chart was ultimately an attempt to put God on a chain through the domestication of Scripture, and perhaps particularly the domestication of a book-like revelation. But there is, as we've already seen in this sermon series, another way to read this book, and that is to allow the Apocalypse, the book's Greek name, to speak in its own voice. This is the voice of signs and wonders. Images not given to stir up explanations, but given to stir up wonder and awe and obedience. The twelfth chapter our reading for today is ripe with potential for this, as it focuses on two astonishing antagonists. The first is the magnificent celestial woman, heavily pregnant, clothed with the sun, wearing a crown of twelve stars, with her feet resting on the moon. We meet her in the throes of labor, that perilous time of both great pain and great promise. Harry Bohr, a missionary theologian to Nigeria, writes, she is the Old Testament community of the faithful that climaxes in the motherhood of Mary. Eve, the people of Israel, Mary, Mother Church, all rolled into one. Sounds like the kind of image a timeless God would dream up. But now enters her horrific foe, a great red dragon serpent figure seeking to devour her newborn child and wage war on her. He is formidable and threatening, the devourer, the accuser, hating the good, seeking to destroy, coming with an army of fallen angels. New Testament scholar William Barclay writes, 
the power of evil ever watching for its opportunity to frustrate the upward reach of men. Time in this passage is strangely both collapsed and extended. Something else you might expect from God. The ancient past, present, and future are jumbled together. We read of the oddly specific 1260 days and the weirdly non-specific a time and times and half a time. There is both a tension and a connection between the supernatural and natural world, between the cosmic and earthly, the timely and timeless. But at the heart of it all is the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. Although the passage clearly points to humans contending with the enemy, this passage is so obviously not about us. We are bit players in the cosmic battle. First and foremost, this passage is a picture of the majesty and the salvation and the power of God. God, who catches up the threatened child to his very throne, whose archangel and angels contend with and defeat the devil, who expels Satan from heaven, who conquers him by the blood of the Lamb, who provides a timely refuge for the woman. The passage makes it so clear that this is no battle of equally matched forces of good and evil. As our own theologian, Professor Mangina, has written in his commentary on this book, the serpent dragon has no power to harm either the child or its mother. Its only recourse is to tirelessly deceive and accuse the original bearer of false witness is he. Although already conquered, this hideous foe is determined to use his remaining time to make war on the rest of the woman's children. And this is where we come in. For if the woman is mother of the Messiah, we Christ followers are her other offspring. And the passage makes it clear that our task is one of simple obedience, to keep God's commandments and to hold the testimony of Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the false accusations, threats, isolation, or persecution, even unto death, we are to point by both our words and deeds to the great saving work of God made known in Jesus. We are simply to stand fast in the meantime, this in-between time, when the devil has been conquered and disarmed, but not yet bound. And be sure of this, he is not yet bound. Who can say why God didn't finish the job? Certainly not us. All we're told is that the final battle has already been won and we are given our marching orders. Keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. As people training for leadership in the church, this passage suggests we cannot expect an easy time of it. The disarmed accuser 
is still as mad as hell. There will be days when our great foe will whisper in your ear, the church. It's nothing more than people jockeying for power and building empires. It's all a house of cards. Hold to the testimony of Jesus that says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will be days when he screams at you, what are you doing throwing your life away on a job that is long on hours and short on real gain? Hold to the testimony of Jesus that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There will be days when Satan will sit across your desk and boldly state, you are all alone in this mess. No one cares about the budget that's in the red, the broken boiler, or the sermon that you will preach on Sunday. Hold to the testimony of Jesus that says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And most especially, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Keep the commandments of God, hold the testimony of Jesus, in other words, witness by word and deed, but don't expect an easy ride of it. In the end though, as Julian of Norwich once said, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. But that story is for another day and another preacher as we continue our walk through this remarkable revelation. Amen.